Empire. The most recent Gronk spike took place on the burgeoning NFT marketplace. That was step one, right? So we're going to do something for each of the four championships. And then we said, all right, we got to keep them somewhat scarce. We do 50 of them. And, you know, Rob was like, why don't we do my number? Let's do 87 of them. Adam Richmond and Joe Silberschweig, co-founders of Medium Rare, join us to discuss the idea behind the originally designed Gronk NFTs and where that market is going. Hint, to the moon. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Adam Richmond and Joe Silberschweig have helped build some of the most modern live activations in recent years. They serve as the promoter for Shaq when he becomes DJ Diesel, and Rob Gronkowski, who doubles as Tom Brady's favorite tight end and verified party boy. In the modern space of athletes and celebrity branding, Medium Rare is taking a modern view at what fans want and recently jumped headfirst into the NFT pool. Our guests this week are the co-founders of the company Medium Rare, Joe Silberschweig and Adam Richmond, who have done a number of custom activations with a number of major stars in the marketplace like Shaquille O'Neal, who also doubles under the name DJ Diesel. They've worked with Rob Gronkowski, which we'll get to in a moment in the NFT range. And they also co-produced the SI Awards, which of course was an activation digitally thanks to the pandemic. Hi guys, how are you? Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Bram, thanks Great. for taking the time. Appreciate it. Uh, tell, me a little, uh, tell me a little bit about Medium Rare, um, what the genesis of the company was and where it's gone to as you guys have looked ahead into uh, activations and branding with brands and, and athletes. Sure. Um, actually started as a live event company. Adam and I's background is actually producing large-scale music festivals. And client number one for us was Shaquille O'Neal and really worked with him to develop his personal festival brand, um, and that was how Shaq's Funhouse was born. Um, and, you know, we've been doing uh, many, many kinds of events and festivals, but when you attach a name like Shaq to it, it really changes the whole trajectory of the event, um, especially on the sales and partnership side of things. So that event was a, a massive home run and actually had uh, Gronk there uh, by chance, and uh, their dance battle was one of the biggest viral moments of 2018, um, and that really led to the uh, the launch of Medium Rare, with a focus on partnering with celebrities and athletes to create, um, you know, entertainment brands and live event properties. So, you know, from there, started working with Gronk and launched Gronk Beach, uh, followed by uh, the Sports Illustrated Awards. Um, also, recently partnered with Shark Tank's Damon John to launch uh, Black Entrepreneurs Day. Um, and just recently did uh, the Shaq Bowl with Shaquille around Super Bowl. And it's been an uh, interesting year during the pandemic, transitioning from live to uh, more broadcast and live streams, but really forced us to uh, think outside the box and also explore other avenues like NFTs and other sorts of uh, tech and all different kinds of um, you know, opportunities. So that's uh, a little bit of the genesis. Um, so you guys are open to any and all ideas. So what is a good idea when you hear it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think our company's really evolved, you know, like Joe said, we started as a live entertainment company and we're really evolving into a 
you know, it's hard to come up with the three word description, but we're, we're here to be partners uh, with these celebrities and athletes and brands and find ways to monetize them that are outside of the box. Um, and I think we've proven that now with, you know, going from live events to virtual events uh, to sponsorship deals to now NFTs even. Um, essentially, people know when they work with Medium Rare, we're going to find a way to make their brand money um, that they probably didn't think of another way. And, you know, with it, that's that's really what we're becoming specialists in is coming up with really unique ways to monetize, uh, you know, these athletes and celebrities in, in ways that no one else is thinking of. Your agent isn't thinking that way. Your manager isn't thinking that way. They don't even know what an NFT is. Um, and they need, you know, we're, we're here thinking really uniquely and coming up with these unbelievable ways to, you know, make you money that you never, never would have thought of otherwise. All right, let's focus in on the NFTs for a moment because uh, recently um, you just launched the collaboration with Rob Gronkowski, which were original designs that went up on the NFT space and it was a hit. Um, I think it was about, what, 350 or so digital collectibles that sold for over $1.2 million in cryptocurrency and we can go through all the machinations of all of it. Um, was this Was this the genesis of this the popularity of NBA Top Shot. Can you take me through a little bit how this kind of came about with Rob? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Joe, you want to take it? Sure. Um, you know, I think you know, Top, Top Shot definitely opened our eyes to the you know success of NFTs, especially in the digital art world and a whole variety of others. And that was dating back several weeks weeks ago. And really, in sitting down and talking to some of our clients and starting with Gronk. You know, recognize that the players aren't really getting their their fair share here and running through the Players Association. And so a unique opportunity to work with Gronk to be the first athlete to independently launch his own NFT and really work with him from, you know, A to Z on concepting and creating, um, you know, those four different playing cards, each representing a different one of his Super Bowl victories, working with him to create the, you know, unique one of one card. Um, and with that, you know, built out his Gronk NFT website created quite a uh, viral frenzy with his media day um, and really had him embedded within the NFT community and, um, you know, really got some incredible feedback and excited buyers in the marketplace. So it's been uh, a, a whirlwind two weeks, but uh, been a ton of fun. I don't want to get too in the weeds in it, but how did you navigate any kind of rights issues with the NFL? Yeah. So we're really thoughtful there. Um, obviously this was, you know, Rob doing it on his own and not part of the NFL or the NFL PA or any of that fun stuff. So we were really careful there, you know, in, in place of using the word Super Bowl, we actually said championship. Um, all of the logos were completely blurred. Uh, we didn't use any of the NFL marks. We didn't use any of the team marks. Um, even in our descriptions and everything on the website, we were very careful. We never even said the Patriots or Buccaneers. We always said New England or Tampa, um, referring to them as cities. And we're very thoughtful the whole way through and wanted to be, you know, knew we're, we're always, you know, towing a close line. Um, but we wanted to be as far away from that line as possible and make sure we did it in a uh, very smart and strategic manner um, that would, you know, be not, not cost any legal issues, but also make sure that our collectors and our buyers knew that it was, you know, associated with what Rob did on the field. Um, but like I said, doing that in a very strategic and smart way. So, okay. So take me through the design process then with all of that in mind, you're being very careful not to cross any lines with the NFL and proprietary rights, but you have to create something that is going to generate demand. So can you kind of take me through the design where, where you thought that this would generate this type of demand? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we first sat down with Rob and we said, look, what, what would be so representative of your career? And obviously Rob's known for the four, four championships that he's won. Um, and we said, all right, so let's start there. So that was, that was step one, right? So we're going to do something for each of the four championships. And then we said, all right, we got to keep them somewhat scarce. We do 50 of them. And, you know, Rob was like, why don't we do my number? Let's do 87 of them. So each card we did 87 of for, uh, so numbered one through 87. Um, and then from there, we said we got to do one super card that's going to be the one of one that's going to be, you know, the, the crown jewel of the collection. And that the idea there was to combine all four of those championships into one special card. Um, having that in place, we then, you know, sat down with a designer that actually did uh, Gronk Beach um, and someone that Rob knows really well, Black Madre, and sort of leaned on them to start coming up with some creative vision. Rob picked his most iconic plays that represent each of those championship runs. Um, and we gave those as inspiration and said, you know, let's make sure, you know, uh, when he caught the diving catch against the, the Rams um, in that Super Bowl, let's, let's use that. Let's use a Gronk spike when he, uh, you know, when he scored the touchdown uh, this year against Kansas City in the championship game and so on. Um, and then our designer sort of came back with some inspiration. We went through a, quite a few different revisions. And then something really unique happened. We had a light bulb go off after really looking at the NFT space. And two unique things that we're used to with physical trading cards that weren't being done by NBA Top Shot or being done by any other NFT was actually adding a digital hand signature to each one, right? It, it's unbelievable. That's something yeah. that we're very used to in the physical memorabilia world, in the physical trading card world, but no one is doing that in the digital space right now. So Rob actually hand autographed these. Um, which was really cool. And then something really unique is none of the cards or none of your top shot moments are actually hand numbered, right? If you're number one or number 5,000, it looks the exact same. The only way to know that you're number one or you're number 5,000 is actually on the back end of the system. And it tells you that you own number one or you own number 5,000. We thought it'd be really cool to actually add that onto each card. So we actually designed 349 different cards um, which was really interesting. And, you know, it sounds, it, it made it a lot more difficult to actually program that in the system and set that up. And obviously our designer, instead of just giving us five designs, had to do 87 of each one because each one had one, two, three, four, five, six, and so on, all the way up to 87 for each card. And that was something really unique that no one has done in the space. I mean, I can only imagine you guys are getting calls now and there's demand off of the success of this happening. Um, as you kind of view this, let me get a kind of an overview and just your thoughts on it. Is this a fad or is this here to stay? Is this market going to grow? How do you guys kind of view NFT right now? So right right now there's this explosion and it's having a moment and it's really incredible. And I think um, Joe and I have said it a lot to each other. The technology is here to stay. The technology will be part of our life for a very, very long time. Um, and it isn't going anywhere. The pricing that you're seeing and one of Rob's cards got up to $432,000. I don't know how long that will last. And that's what we're telling uh, the you know a lot of clients that we're talking to and potential new partners. And we think the moment is now to capitalize on that type of monetary gain. Uh, but this will be a new form of collection collectibles. This technology will be here. It isn't going anywhere. But 
people spending, you know, uh, Rob did $1.75 million on 349 cards. That's not going to happen every time. And that is going to calm down a little bit. And the market will, you know, slow down a little bit just based on the sheer volume of, of, of how many NFTs are coming out. Um, you know, we're hearing from musicians, we're hearing from athletes, we're hearing from celebrities of all, all walks of fields and everyone is working on their NFT. So not all of them can do, you know, uh, $1.75 million is yeah. not physically possible. There's enough money in the, in the market to support that. Um, some are going to go great. Some aren't going to go great um, in this moment. But the future of the technology is very, very bright. And this is here to stay. You know, considering your background with live events, and since you mentioned musicians, I was curious with that because there are these legal rights, obviously, with sports and what you can and cannot use without collaboration with the leagues. But in the case of musicians, I don't know, does Drake own the rights to the videos of his concerts? Could he actually take literal moments from concerts and put them up on an NFT space? I don't know. Do you? Yeah, the, the music space is particularly interesting for NFTs. It's, it really kind of empowers the creators and producers of the music and gives them a new way to to sell. Um, I think that's where we're seeing the most traffic and, and conversation around uh, music with artists releasing digital albums. Um, and just last week, Kings of Leon, for example, comboed their album um, NFT with some really unique live and personal experiences that included you know, limousine pickups and meeting the band and front row tickets and, and all that kind of good stuff. I think we'll see more focus uh, specifically around album releases or even what uh, Justin Blau just did. Um, he actually sold a one-on-one music video on Nifty Gateway for over a million dollars where uh, the actual owner of the NFT could name the music video. So I think we'll see a lot more kind of creative angles and we're not seeing as much uh, you know, video in these in specific in the music world. I do think that's a really interesting, uh, you know, lane with iconic concert concert moments, um, and we we will likely start to see a, a bit more of that. Um, let me go back to your your comment about live events, where you've pivoted to all these digital activations, and obviously we know why. Over the last year, um, was that happening before the pandemic? Um, and do you are you guys going to pivot back to live when things open up again in the fall? How do you kind of view the live experience? Yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy to say as a live event company that the uh, the pandemic has you know been a good thing for our business and really forced us to think outside the box. And, you know, just going back to Super Bowl last year, for example, a little over a year ago, we had very little or no intention to be doing, you know, broadcasts or live stream events or even going into this uh, digital space with NFTs. And we were very bullish on, uh, you know, working with celebrities and, you know, unique IP to create live events. And, the pandemic really forced us to uh, think outside the box and you know, go all in on streaming. And it's, it's a new model that's 100% sponsorship driven. Our live events were you know, driven by ticketing, uh, VIP sales, um, sponsorship, and a, and a bunch of other kind of ancillary revenues versus our new model, which is 100% sponsorship driven. And um, it's been working really good. Over, but as things start to open up, um, it's really a new parallel business to our live business. And uh, we'll definitely be focusing um, on both once we kind of get back to uh, that new normal later this year and into next year. Um, this may be a vague question because it might apply differently, but you would know if it's in entertainment or in the sports space. But we've asked a lot of league CEOs and team owners and people in branding for teams. What do they think fans are going to want when they open the arenas up again? So from a live experience, as you kind of survey the reopening broadly, 
What do you think people are going to expect differently since they've been away from the experience when they go again? Yeah, look, I think first off, obviously, people want that safety and security, right? They want to know that, uh, you know, going into an arena feels safe and, you know, being around, you know, a lot more people than they've been around in the last year, thousands of people for that matter, um, is safe and it's it's done the right way. And, you know, a lot of arenas are obviously in the midst of reopening right now around the country. And, um, you know, here I'm in New York, for instance, in New York, you have to actually present a COVID test or a vaccine. Um, to get into into the you know into MSG or Barclays Center or whatever venue, um, you know every arena, Florida for instance, I know American Airlines Arena, they're using uh, COVID sniffing dogs, which I don't think anyone else has employed yet at American Airlines Arena, and you know they're uh, they're also not letting you eat inside the arena. So I think everyone's taking their own approach to safety and security, and I think that's that's the biggest thing to get people back in the seats. But little by little, people are going to feel more and more comfortable um with it and I, I think from there you know i people people want well they want the old normal back you know i don't think they're expecting anything new and innovative i think they want to feel safe and secure but i think they want to be back in the arena they want to feel they, they want that energy back people are dying for it we'll see how texas rangers do next week uh, or two weeks from now uh, with the uh, home opener where full stadium or the ufc in a month from now with a full stadium in jacksonville and those are monumental events, you know, back to full capacity. And it's going to be interesting to see how the crowd reacts and how the media around the country reacts to it. Um, and hopefully it's a start of it's, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. But you don't think fundamentally there is an expectation of the content that is provided to them or the experiences that are offered to them in arena. Does that need to change as we come back and open the doors again? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think people are ready to get back to it. Like, you know, what we're seeing is people are just ready for the old normal. And, you know, we're seeing it with some events that we work on. Uh, the ticket sales are through the roof. People are ready to get out there. Things that are happening in a year from now, you see these festivals and concerts being announced around the world for that matter. The weekend sold out, you know, a hundred some odd dates around the world in a blink of an eye um, for a concert that's a year from now. Not because it's going to be a different experience, but because they're ready for getting back to yeah, what they, yeah. they love yeah. and what it was. I don't think there's a need to reinvent the model with live. Live was booming, uh, probably the best it has in uh, a long time, right before the pandemic and people looking for all different kinds of, you know, uh, live and interactive experiences. And I think once we open back up, people will be, uh, you know, picking it back up like uh, nothing ever happened. Um, all right, let's go back to branding for a moment. Um, Rob Gronkowski is a huge name. Shaquille O'Neal is a huge name. If a modern athlete comes to you and says, I want to work with you and I want to be creative in how I uh, interact with my fans and I'd like to be part of all these types of things that you're talking about and, and you're saying, slow down, like I can't promise you 1.7 million if we make digital cards of you like we did for Gronkowski. How are you advising them um, in terms of their own personal branding these days? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we've been looking at it from an, uh, an event and entertainment brand perspective, um, first and foremost. And, you know, when we created Shaq's Funhouse, we sat down with Shaquille and wanted to understand what a Shaq event would look like, right? And he's like, I want it to be fun. I want it to be carnival. I want you to walk in and people are like breathing fire and a Ferris wheel and Shaq's Funhouse was born. And that was really, you know, it was Shaq's inspiration um, and his sort of thought process to get us um, you know, going. And, and from there, Joe and I sort of ran with it. With Rob, he actually said, I don't party at night anymore. I'm too, uh, he goes, I've done 
She goes, I have way more. I goes, I have a lot more fun at these pool parties and partying during the day. And we said, huh, Super Bowl. There hasn't been a great party during the day on Saturday during the day. With you, know, you still have everyone in town, but everyone's used to going to the nighttime events, Shaq's Funhouse, Maxim, Sports Illustrated, whatever. But there was nothing great during the day. And then we said it sort of clicked. All right, Gronk beats during the day. Let's throw the biggest daytime you know event ever um, at Super Bowl weekend. And that was built around Gronk's DNA. And it's really, you know, with Shark Tank's Damon John, we, he had this great idea for doing something special for the black entrepreneur uh, community black business community and we sat down with him and we shaped black entrepreneurs day together and it's around and letting our partners um lead the way and from there joe and i will run with it once we have their creative vision and their thought process and it starts with that and it needs to be organic and it needs to be real and the only way that happens is if it comes from them directly Joe Silberswig and Adam Richmond are the co-founders of Medium Rare. Thank you both for coming on today. Thanks, Bram. Awesome. We really, really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks for having us, Bram. We really appreciate it. Look forward to talking again soon. On the next Future Sport Podcast, as sports betting continues to grow across the United States marketplace, Sport Radar is watching closely to keep the integrity of the events intact. We uh, are a small but important division of, of Sport Radar. About a, a hundred uh, individuals who essentially use the data and technology we have at the company to help support bodies, governments, and law enforcement tackle sporting corruption, match fixing, and, and, and uh, other corruption areas. And we've been doing this for, for over over fifteen years. That's Andy Cunningham, head of integrity at Sport Radar. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.